This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Okay, here we go. This is my first show, so I'm a bit nervous. Um, but let's see how this goes. My name is uh, Joseph Hammond. Um, I am a primary school teacher specializing in music and computing, working in South London. And today I wanted to talk about two things mainly. Um, about being a teacher with additional needs. And this is Teachers Talk just Radio. Wait for that. And you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Oh man, I do love that overly dramatic music that uh, we've got on the intro. That's that's awesome. It's like uh, something big's coming. <laughs> anyway, so... As I said, I wanted to talk about being a teacher with additional needs. And I also wanted to talk today about gaming in schools. Um, so hopefully my setup's working okay. Please do let me know if anyone or anything is too loud, too quiet, um, if the microphone's fuzzing, anything like that. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll be able to keep everybody engaged um right up until the end of my show so um i can see people are online i've got um uh I, forgive me if i pronounce this wrong um i've got tscw listening i've got leanne listening and xavier flores nice one nice of you to join us so xavier um and i go back a bit um we met at a uh, minecraft in education show um in uh, island called Mindvention. Um, and we also did the uh, Game of Thrones Northern Ireland tour together. Um, and yeah, so that was that was really cool. Um, so we've been sharing a few uh, Minecraft and education ideas and things like that. Um, but yeah, I wanted to start with a little bit of an introduction to myself. And um, because I wanted to I wanted to talk a bit about being a teacher who is on the autistic spectrum um, because that is me. I am an autistic adult. And while there are quite um, there's quite a lot of talk about sort of special needs with children and with our students, but I've barely seen anything about support or tips and tricks or advice if you're an autistic adult that is working in the school and it's actually or, or even just anybody with additional needs if you're an adult in a school and this is something that i wanted to um talk about because yeah it's it's not talked about enough it's not appreciated enough and i know people might have different um opinions on how um on if, if whether they should disclose their additional needs or whether it's an important thing to to or whether it's important to them whether they want it to define themselves but my personal opinion is i think it is for me it's super important and it's actually one of the first things that i tell people especially if it's a brand new employer 
or a new job, I really want them to know that I'm on the spectrum. And I guess that's for two reasons, because I don't want people misunderstanding me. That's one of my biggest fears. And I think um, I, 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 because I've been misunderstood in the past, I think that's a big fear of mine. And so if I want to, I want to talk about it and I want people to know, not because I want them to treat me extremely differently, but because I want them to at least understand uh, if I do or say something that might not be quote unquote normal, or if I, um, if I find something gives me anxiety because I do suffer from quite a lot of anxiety. Um, and also it means that while I don't ask for any specific reasonable adjustments, unless I have to, I guess it's important. I feel like it's important for people to have that in the back of their minds, just so that um, we can, or they can, uh, I guess, it make, make the adjustments in their head or make the physical adjustments. Um, so I've always told every employer um, that I've had or every teacher that I've had in school and um, in students that I am in fact on the spectrum and I have additional non needs. Um, now, speaking of which, I did tweet out um, that I would love people to um, call in if uh, they know a teacher that has any additional needs or disabilities about their challenges, their triumphs. And if you are a teacher or you work in a school and you have additional needs, I would love to hear from you. So please do call in if you, um, if you are one of those people. So I guess I wanted to give a few a few sort of examples of you know where I've had triumphs and where I've had challenges as uh, as well. So, uh, as as someone who's on the spectrum, one of the big things I guess is that people might notice that. I mean, some people claim I don't look or sound autistic, but in a way that can be a bit more frustrating than um, if it was obvious that I was on the spectrum because it means that I they they sort of expect me to be quote-unquote normal or, or I guess a better word would be neurotypical. And I think that um, I think that I don't want to um, I, I and I, so that's why I want people to, to know. Um, I got completely sidetracked there. Where was I? I was, uh, I was talking about being on the spectrum. I was talking about why I tell people as an, uh, my potential employees. Um, oh yeah, I was going to talk about challenges and, uh, triumphs. So I guess eye contact, that's one of the things that I wanted to, uh, that that is, I guess, the biggest challenge for me, um, and 
Ah, hello, Xavier. Yeah, so as I said, Xavier and I go go back a bit. We met in um, we met in Ireland at a um, Minecraft uh, convention where we talked about using uh, games in education. So yeah, good to good to good to see you, Xavier. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Um, cool. So, um, so yeah, eye eye contact. That's a challenge for me. Um, and I want, if, I guess it's not really brought up that much in terms of people don't actively tell me, or oh, you're not making eye contact. I think some people may be used to say, I expect you to look at me, look me in the eye. Um, obviously that's very tough for me. Um, I think most people understand that I am listening to them, even if I'm not directly looking at them. And sometimes I have a habit of uh, of looking at the floor. Um, but yeah, uh, I so, some people I um, have said to me and or, or sort of said to other people in the past, or oh, I can't uh, get, I can't make eye contact with him it's it's tricky to make eye contact so so i guess that's one of the challenges um and i guess uh what would what would be another challenge that i face i think another challenge that i face would be sort of in ge just general anxiety and needing to have a routine sort of if i have a clear structure for my day that I know what I'm doing, then I'm I'm pretty confident in what I'm doing. But if there's sudden changes, um, and it's not something, especially if it isn't something that I've ever done before, or it's not something that I feel particularly comfortable doing, that can be a challenge. I guess, especially if there's a last minute change, like I'm um, like I'm expected to suddenly teach a class, you know, right at the last minute cover for someone who's suddenly gone ill. Um, and I don't know that class, you know, that's going to cause me, that's going to cause me quite a lot of anxiety. Um, so yeah, I think those probably two of my biggest challenges now in terms of, um, triumphs well being a music and computing specialist i feel like i have a lot to offer and this is something that we can hopefully talk about um more in future shows that i do i want it i specialize and i'm a prime in primary school and i specialize in subjects that most class teachers um really struggle with whether that be with confidence, whether that be with um, subject knowledge, um, it's it's something that it's something that I have a lot of unique skills to offer. Whereas um, it's perhaps not something that is typically primary. It's the strength of a lot of uh, primary school teachers. So. Again, um, if you if you're listening back after this show has finished, then I would love to hear any sort of tweets or comments or social media posts about you know how you've 
risen to the challenge of um, helping class teachers uh, if you're primary school with their perhaps their computing teaching or their music teaching or how you've overcome challenges in those subjects then and if you are listening live please feel free to call in um and uh talk to me live i would um love to hear from you so yeah that so i have i have a lot to offer from specialist subjects um in terms of my own um my own specialisms music and uh music and computing and i guess one of the things that i consider one of my biggest strengths um well there's there's two things that i'm going to talk about one is that i sometimes i feel like i'm a bit of a big kid myself um so there's lots of things that i enjoy doing and um and playing that um that lots of children enjoy as well like i'm perfectly happy for example um in uh to get stuck in with imaginative games and make-believe games and i'm happy i'm perfectly happy for children to bring me into that world um and i guess different settings have different rules and different ways of doing these things but um certainly where i currently work i'm able to i'm able to join in with that and because my school is a progressive school that does things very differently i get I get some time to interact with the children on their terms, as well as me teaching them on my terms. And I think that really helps build up a really strong relationship with with the children because they can they can engage you. Um, they, as I say, they can engage you on their terms, and therefore, my my view my opinion is that they're more likely to engage on you know, with you on your terms so when you're teaching your own specialist subjects you're teaching um you're, you're trying to trying to get a point across or you're running an extracurricular club that they genuinely want to come to the children or students genuinely want to take part in and come to um think it's very important to to get that relationship right now um as i say different settings have different ways some teachers sort of like to keep it their distance when they're not teaching and just be a, in a supervisory role or they want to um they they just want to focus on the teaching aspects, the teaching of their subject, I think. Um, and, you know, there's everyone has different ways of doing things. And I guess engaging with them on, on the children's terms, as well as them engaging with me on my terms is the way I like to do things. And I have had some very good examples recently, because at my school, we have what we call provision play, which is sort of, they get play time, but we also put things out for the children to access. Um, and so they engage with that in a play, they engage with us with the subjects or the projects we're teaching 
in a play-based setting. And I have had, when I've been able to spend time with the uh, uh, the children, I have had them come to me because they want to sing a song to me. They want to perform to me. They want to... Um, they want to they they want to you know just play an instrument with me or they just want to watch and listen to me me play and sing um and that's i think that's so valuable um as well i think yeah it helps it helps as i say engage engage with them on their terms and they if they choose to come to it it's much more powerful than um, sort of forcing them to come to it and there are there are some aspects of um, learning and some subjects where it's kind of we have it so that you that certain things won't be accessible unless you get other things right so for example we do we are a progressive school and a lot of our learning is done through play we also we do have core skills, literacy and maths right from reception all the way up because it is important that um, they it, it, it we feel it's important that their their reading, their writing, their counting skills will then help them access sort of in my perspective more complicated aspects of music and computer coding that they will study later on in their in their lifetime, in their school lives. Um, I've just noticed a few new listeners have just joined us live. Hello, if you've just joined us, lovely to see you. Please feel free to call in and uh, share your opinions on what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about being a teacher with additional needs, and later on I'll be talking about gaming and education. So... Um, so yeah, that's that's why those are I guess the reasons why I I like to build up a relationship in that way, and I do like to get involved in games the children are playing. I like to play with the children. Oh, my cousins just joined. Hello, Catherine. Good to see you. <laughs> Kath, uh, hello to Cat. That's my cousin. Um, so <laughs> that's cool. Um, Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Um, if you've got any um, opinions, then please feel free to call in. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I've just just been talking about engaging with the kids on their terms. Um, I think one other thing that other other triumphs that I have is because. Being on the spectrum, I get very passionate about my subjects and my subjects are um, <laughs> never met a kid who didn't like Minecraft. I have actually, you'll be surprised about this, Xavier, but I have actually met a couple that, you know, think that Minecraft is a quote unquote dead game and that, you know, they'd rather be playing Fortnite. But, you know, that's a debate for another time, I think. Um, so where was I? Yeah, so I like to, I'm very passionate about my subjects and I do have a lot of energy for them. And I feel like 
I'm a hundred times better at teaching my specialist subjects than I am at um than I am at teaching other things. So like the my my colleagues, um I, I am my school's specialist te- one of my school's specialist teachers. So I only teach my specialist subjects to all the children. Um and the class teachers who are in charge of their classes, they are about a hundred times better than me at teaching things like phonics and um, maths and things like that. And they've come up with some really creative ways of doing that in our progressive setting. Um, but that's why it's good to have people like me in specialist roles, because then I can come along and I can share my specialist knowledge, um, which, as I said before, music and computing slash ICT, one of uh, two of the subjects that the majority of primary school teachers are least confident in. And, well, although it sounds harsh, wish they didn't have to teach. Some might say because they think it's a waste of time. Well, of course, lots of us know better and know that's not true. But the majority, the real reason is they're just not confident in their own ability with technology or their own ability with um, with with music because they might have, well, they might have had a bad experience in school. That's often the case with music where something knocks their confidence or they might have been, sadly, it's all too common, people getting laughed at when they're singing. Um, And other times in computers, it might be the case that, um, it might be the case that uh, people don't uh because because they're limited in how much they use computers in their own um in their own homes and things i think they have they're therefore having to teach something that they then have to learn themselves and learn the subject knowledge of i think that is very um that that can be a very daunting task and i completely get that because part of part of me being on the autistic spectrum is me being a little bit dyslexic and a little bit dyspraxic as well so i do and those are those are obviously very common additional need more uh, quite common additional needs more common than lots of people realize um and Lots of people hide it, but, you know, it can be a very overwhelming thing for um, somebody who struggles themselves with wording things correctly or who struggles with spelling or who struggles with grammar or who, you know, just makes errors um, in their writing or their reading. It can be a very that can be a very soul destroying thing when especially if sort of someone's watching you you're being observed and then you get called out on it which is what happened to me once as a student and that was very disheartening um but uh 
but yeah that's that's why i love sticking to my own specialist subjects and it's why it's why i'm very passionate about what i do as well because i don't i want our kids to grow up and i want their kids i uh, want them to be able to be confident with technology i don't want them to just see it as something that they have to use i want them to see it as something that they they want to use productively and something that they feel confident doing um and i think that's so important so yeah i've i've talked i've talked a lot about um myself i did want to also give a a shout out to a certain person who i might invite to be a guest on my show in the future um and that is um chris bonello um he runs a blog called autistic not weird and he like me is a teacher who is on the spectrum and he's had a lot of success with um his blog which has gone a bit viral um he's also done lots of speaking engagements and written a novel series called underdogs which is about uh which is kind of a post-apocalyptic um dystopian future um and uh the heroes of the story are all neurodiverse um and yeah it's got it's got quite a few fans um all of the uh all of the heroes they all go to a special needs school and um you know they they become they become the unlikely heroes embroiled in this this dystopian dystopian world um where there's um there's the there are these clone factories and clone soldiers and things so it's for teenagers and young adults but um i i it's on my list of to read definitely um and yeah chris talks a lot about um teaching autistic students as an autistic teacher about himself and his own interests and the way that pardon me the way that he does things um and so for example i've just brought up his um article called so you want to teach autistic students here are 12 tips from an autistic teacher um and yeah he says that teaching hasn't always felt like the right place for him to build people up, which is what he likes to do, but it's probably where he's got the best results, where he's done the most good and empowered people to become their best selves, which is exactly what I want to do as a teacher. Um, and there's, yeah, so some of his tips include, for example, number one, your autistic students are individuals, not walking stereotypes. And I think that is super important for everybody with any additional needs. We are still individuals. Sometimes it is helpful to cate uh, categorize, but not if you're going to strip their individuality. Categorization should, in my opinion, be only be used if you are going to 
if you're going to then use that to help those students. So I, when I did my postgraduate, and I wish I'd have done this for my undergraduate, but I didn't, I signed up and I, I, I said yes to the fact that I do have additional needs. And I said, and they offered, and so the university was able to offer me things that would help. And they did, especially in my postgraduate, since some of um, my postgraduate was, um, was very tough and I had some tough times there. And so it was super helpful having that. Um, but it doesn't mean that it will work for everybody. Now, me personally, I'm a musician. I love doing things with computers. I am a massive gamer. I don't, that doesn't mean that all autistic people or students or adults are exactly the same as me. Um, it's, it's something that everybody um, has their own individuals. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just I'm just looking down this article and this um, just caught my eye. Oh, yeah. So Chris says to this teacher, why isn't Daniel moving? I thought autistic people understood everything you say, even if they don't talk. The teacher gave the predictable response. Oh, he understands every word you're saying. He's not moving because he's a 16 year old lad who doesn't want to do what he was told. Um and that was the um that was he says goes on to say that that was when he was defining students by their diagnosis rather than their own individual personalities you know so you know joe hammond that's me and chris bonello are two incredibly different people and um and so and so is Temple Grandin, who's one of the, you know, most uh, famous advocates and um, famous inspirational people who's on the autistic spectrum. She's different to Dan Aykroyd, the cre you know, creator of Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd's on the spectrum. Um, I couldn't make the Ghostbusters a success. Um, I know a bit about filmmaking, but I'm no or and acting, but I'm no Dan Aykroyd. Um, so, yeah, let's see uh, what else. What else does he say that's really good? Ah, uh, yeah. So this is something that um, I wish some parents would understand. Um, you know, knowing what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to achieve is not. Uh, turning an autistic person into a non-autistic person um, because I was born with my autism. It's never going to go away. And um, people need to understand that. Ah, I have a caller. Um, it's Charlie. Um, and Charlie is calling in from... Oh, let's let's uh, let's invite her in and let's uh, see. Hopefully, or th hopefully this will work. Um, so, Charlie, I've just sent you an invite to um, call in. So, hopefully, you'll be able to get that uh, get that going. Um, just 
say something when you've um, sorted it out on your end. Hopefully, I've done this right. In um, so in the meantime, yeah. When you're teaching a student with a disability or additional needs, you don't want to remove those needs. You don't want to turn them into someone who's quote unquote normal or quote unquote neurotypical. Um, and I love the way that Chris says this. I want to turn an autistic person who struggles into an autistic person who doesn't struggle. And this is something that I've learned a lot through sort of hard graft, through I guess, um, uh, yeah, just, just, um, yeah, I've learned a lot of coping strategies over the years, um, such as if I'm feeling, feeling anxious about things, I've gotten much better at mindfulness over the years and that sort of helped me cope with anxiety. And one of, one of the things that I used to do as a teacher was if a student was perhaps not being quote unquote compliant or, well, about, I guess the best way of describing it is being disrespectful or, um, you know, not sort of showing expected behaviors. That's the way we describe it in my school, expected and unexpected behaviors. Um, I guess it's mindfulness helps me sort of see no, it's nothing, it's not me, it's nothing personal. And even if that student maybe thinks at the time that, oh, I don't like that teacher, um, I don't have to take it personally. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned. And it sort of helps me sort of stay, stay chill, stay chilled and not get, not get angry with that student or, or you know, raise my voice because you know i have to have to save my loud voice for emergency situations so um um charlie i i just um wondering are you trying to um are, are you i've sent you an invite are you struggling to get in to um to the call-in because i can't currently hear you at the moment um just let me just let me know if you're struggling and we'll see if we can do something about that. Um, okay, so back to back to this article. What else um, do we... Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things that I've learned over my years being a teacher, so number four on this, uh, on this article about, um, about uh, thing, autistic people uh, being an autistic teacher of autistic students. Flexibility should be your middle name. Of course, not literally. However, you can't really, although routine is super important and it can be overwhelming if you don't have, if for someone like me, if I don't have a routine, um, it's also important for you know, an adult that's looking after kids does need to be to an extent flexible. Um, so sometimes something will go wrong with even to someone who's, you know, as good with computers as I am, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not the greatest person ever with computers. However, I, I do know what I'm doing with technology and I am my technology lead in my school. Um, that doesn't mean that the technology is always going to work for me. So 
I have to have a backup plan. I have to be able to come up with an alternative solution so I can teach what I'm teaching without having to rely on this, um, without having to rely on a, uh, uh, without having to, you know, rely on the technology too much. Um, and, you know, sometimes there might be a student, you know, that's, there's, you might have a limited number of students or there might be something else going on that day that sort of disrupts your lessons in some way. And it's about how you handle that. And it can be tough. One of the, in my, in my current school, I sort of had a, one of the toughest things that I had was there was one day because my school is a forest school, like a, almost like a full-time forest school and it's uh, everything takes place outdoors. There was one day where the wind speed was unsafe. And so uh, it was like above uh, 40 degree wind speeds. And so the wind was pretty brutal. And so we had to all take shelter. Um, this was last academic year just after i think it happened just after lockdown her other uh, january to march lockdown had finished and we'd all come back so we had to sort of make quick plans to keep each class in their own bubbles under shelter um so that the wind wouldn't get to them um so of course that was all completely different that was uh, anxiety inducing but also, um, it's a, but also something that we had to do. Then later on in the day, the wind slowed down, so it was safe. I didn't. I. I. I felt I was just going to need to look after the class and not do full lessons. And then it turns out I needed to do a full lesson afterwards. Um, so that did make me a bit flustered. Um, and so I said. Um, I said, yeah, thank, uh, so I, I did the best I could. It definitely wasn't my best lesson. Um, but then afterwards, my senior leadership sort of messaged me and said, thank you for today. I can understand how difficult that was for you. Um, so, no, I, I really appreciated that. Um, right. So I've gone on for about 40 minutes now on this. So I think um, I'm going to um, just have a drink and uh, play our adverts and messages from our sponsors. And then I'll be back in uh, two minutes. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, 
making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Okay, everybody, I am back. Uh, so, talked a little bit about being a teacher on the spectrum and teachers with additional needs. Hopefully, I didn't ramble on and bore people then. Um, <coughs> so, the other thing I wanted to talk about today is um, something that I guess lots of people don't really consider uh, consider a valuable teaching tool. However, myself and uh, several people who I've met over the years definitely do. And that is gaming. Um, and now I'm talking not I'm talking about video games and I'm talking about tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons. This is something that is um is not normally associated with teachers because teachers yeah often the it's often the case where teachers sort of they think that games are often the enemy of of childhood but if you use them correctly if you make them something that you can talk about and do together and you make it um and if you're a parent if you make it something that you do with your children you'd be surprised at how valuable you would find that experience and how valuable they will find it as well so one of the biggest things that i've been involved with over the last um three years is the use of minecraft in schools um and it's something that horrifies some people because um, you think, oh my God, they're playing computer games in school. Aren't computer games are the villainy of childhood. However, anybody who uses it effectively knows how effective, the, how, how, I just used the word effective twice, knows how good it can be and how valuable it can be for students um so much so that you know microsoft have actually made their own education edition of minecraft and it's it's you know it's such a good resource that you can use for any subject pretty much and you know there's so much in playing video games skills that 
children and students and even adults learn, can learn, that they don't realize they're learning. And it's so important, I think it's so important that those skills are acknowledged because you have, um, you get, take, take Minecraft, for example. When you start the game, if you just start a generic game, you're just dropped in a world. You've got nothing. You have nothing. You don't know where anything is. The world that's generated is completely random. Most, uh, unless of course you've, um, unless of course you've loaded a pre-built world, and you have to figure it out by yourself. So once you've figured out the controls. You have to figure out what to do. Um, what's the first thing you do if you're playing the survival game or survival mode? You punch trees to get wood. Then you use that wood to make planks. You use the, those wooden planks to make a crafting table. You then use the wood and the sticks to make tools that you need to build and mine more things. You then mine better materials like stone, and eventually metals like iron and gold and uh, diamonds. And it just progresses from there. Now, these things are not something... A lot of game video games these days, they will give you very lots of tutorials, um, and they will sort of actively tell you and hold your hand through the beginning of the game. Minecraft doesn't do that. It breaks those rules. And so the children who are playing it, often with their, you know, often their parents or their teachers don't know anything about the game. They then have to figure it out for themselves. So they have to read it up or they have to get their friends to help them. And they're learning so many skills through that critical thinking, problem solving, um, decision making. They then, uh, and sometimes quick thinking, because when night comes, you have to then defend yourself somehow from the monsters or mobs, as we call, as us gamers call them, that come out at night. So it's all very, it's, it's all, when it's brand new, it can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes, but you learn so much from it. And that and and when you get into the more advanced aspects, there's some really complex skills that are being learned through through playing a game like Minecraft. And um as I as I said before, Xavier uh, Flores um, is uh, also a uh, Minecraft uh, te uh, teacher that uses Minecraft in schools. So if you have anything to add, Xavier, please type it in the chat or, or call in and I can get you talking to me live. Um, but yeah, so and Education Edition has added quite a lot of features that are unique that you don't get in the base game. So for example, things like um, coding. Now, 
that's uh, that has since been added to what we call bedrock edition um and but it was first introduced in education edition and it's an introduction to using computer code to manipulate something that lots of children are familiar with um and it's not typing random uh, or, or seemingly random and complex statements like if this then that or for loop uh for loop place um dirt blocks the um x x2 y 100 z uh 300 or whatever um when I started, I couldn't even make a stick, but the kids knew how to make things. There you go. So Xavier is a uh, pro at using Minecraft in schools. And uh, when I, when, and he admits when he started, he couldn't even make a stick. The kids knew how to. And I, I know of several teachers who are also top pros, uh, professionals at using Minecraft in education. When they started, they they weren't gamers. I I just happened to be a gamer, but lots of people that started were not gamers, and they've gone on to be pro level. One teacher I know, um, I she um, well I I can't I can't remember her name, but she messaged um, uh, she wrote on a blog post that the first time she logged in. Um, and tried playing along with her students. She, um, she, her students decided to dig a big hole. She walked into the hole. They built over that hole, trapping her inside. She had no idea how to get out. So her students essentially tormented her on the first time that she'd ever used Minecraft in school. But um, she persisted. And uh, she got good at it, and her students learned to trust her and her teaching, and it her classroom became uh, became a success. And this is often the way with lots of people. Um, I I just so happened to be a gamer, so for me it was a case of you know I I know I know the benefits that video games bring to me. I've read up about it. Here's a thing that's happening. Let's get in on it and. It started before Microsoft made their own education edition of Minecraft. They had um, their, a, um, a guy named Joel Levin um, made a version called Minecraft EDU, um, which was I used in a school um, in the past, and then I and then that sort of died down when Microsoft made their own version. Um, anyway, but you want to hear about the benefits. So as I said, problem solving, critical thinking, learning together. Sometimes when the children are the teachers, that's super valuable because those children, those students, they're learning leadership skills, they're learning collaboration skills, you know, they're, um, if if you're trying to build something together, you might not agree on everything. You might have to make a compromise, or you might sort of 
one person might have an idea and then you'll say, okay, let's do that. Um, and these are all super valuable things to, to learn uh, in a way that lots of children are super engaged with. Um, and it is, it, it can be tricky to get it right. It's not just as simple as boot Minecraft up and uh, just let the kids go wild. Um, it's you, you can build maps where they follow a structure and they learn something in a certain way and you can build it so that certain people can't go beyond certain locations. So you can contain, you can contain your students in a specific location so that they can focus on what you want them to learn. Um, and you can disable things like explosions and fire. So that stops people from doing what we gamers call griefing, which is, you know, wrecking somebody else's stuff. You can do all sorts of these things. Um, so that's Minecraft in a nutshell. Um, it's, it, and it can be used for all sorts of subjects. I know people who have built maps that, simulate what the refugee crisis is like uh this was back when there was a lot in the news about syrian refugees and the uh syrian war and uh this is very relevant today as well with what's going on in afghanistan as well um so i know i i, I know of a map where it simulates and builds empathy towards the refugee crisis and i know of maps that explore maths problems and uh, math, maths and computing are quite obvious choices for subjects, but you can also do, from my perspective, music. They have, the Minecraft has a block called Note Blocks, which you can build to make tunes and you can build electronic circuits to then make those tunes play um, in certain, certain times. There's even an application called Noteblock Studio that lets you create tunes um, in the app and then import them into Minecraft so that they can hear their tunes played inside the game. And it's super cool. And it's pretty simple to use, actually. Um, be, being that I'm quite immature, I uh, always show them how to make Baby Shark, and then um, I, then I, uh, then uh, and then and then I show them in the game because you know that's me, um, <laughs> because I can be quite immature sometimes. But um, but yeah, so there's there's so much that that you can do, and there Minecraft isn't the only game that is something that, uh, uh, that that can be used in schools. There's so many others, lots of which haven't, uh, don't get very much public attention, but they are very usable. I wanted to draw attention to one application in particular called Twine. And Twine is uh, this... Um, app that allows you or your students to build interactive um, interactive fiction. Um, and for those listening live, I'm just going to copy and paste a link 
in the uh, in the chat. So there's there's the website for Twine. Um, uh, for those that are not listening live, it's twinery.org, T-W-I-N-E-R-Y.org. Um, and yeah, it's an application that lets you build and make interactive fiction. So you create a node, you have a starting node, then you type into that node your story, then you press plus, and then you make a no, a different node that attaches to your starting node, and then you can link it up so that when your player or your reader clicks a certain um, a certain option, it moves them to that node, um, and so it's a way of building and interactive fiction like. Um, a good examples would include Ian Livingstone's fighting fantasy uh, novels. Um, they, they're the sort of classic interactive fiction, and it's about making that style. And, of course, what your students write, especially if they're younger students, doesn't have to be violent in any way whatsoever. They can just be stories where the, they embody the main, the main character. And so it's super... It's a super powerful storytelling and creative writing tool. And, and I think in many ways, you know, there's in, in the English curriculum these days, there's so much focus on spelling, punctuation, grammar, um, all these, uh, all, all, all these, these things lear and learning these, uh, terms to, uh, these English terms about what uh, what fronted adverbials are and modal verbs and uh, things like that. That um, yeah, if the focus is too or and while good spelling and knowing how to write can be a very important skill, it's not. I would argue that it's more important to get creative with it. If we want to build up a love of reading with our students, then there's so much you can do, but it's also they need, they need to experience reading and, you know, even writing just for the love of it without having to worry about, um, without having to worry about, um, what's it? without without having to worry about if they've got that spelling right or if they've got that grammar right or if what they've written makes a hundred percent sense that's something that they can be helped with along the way and i guess although as i said before he there's so many people i know that are so much better at, than me at teaching phonics and uh, literacy and things like that if um if but but one thing i do know is that you're going you're not going to be an effective uh english teacher if you don't instill a love of and passion for reading and writing and engaging them on their terms is the best uh, and and making them 
able to access it is, is in my opinion, the best way of doing that. Um, M M W A N S A James One from Zambia Kitwe. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, just uh, read a uh, chat message there. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's Twine, and that's a bit about Minecraft. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to uh, play the news. Um, the, we have a news segment on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, after the news has played, I'll talk a little bit about tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I was talking in the Thursday night about children's work being about the process more than the end result. I think computing work lends itself to this quite well. Absolutely. It, uh, Thursday night show. Um, absolutely, Leanne, it does. Um, computing does lend itself quite well because if if your students want to achieve and they want to and they are engaged with what they're doing then absolutely they can um and they do um and if you combine computing with things like english and literacy that can often be a really powerful tool if you know the right tools to use i'm not saying that computers should replace everything especially in the school that i work at you know being an outdoor school and we don't want technology to overtake uh, to overtake everything and uh, replace well or, or replace anything the te technology but there's so much if you can do something with technology that you couldn't do any other way it's a super good way of doing it. Twine, that app, for more advanced users, they can program things like role-playing games, stats, you know, and um, and things like that using a JavaScript programming language. So it's, um, so yeah, absolutely, Leanne. Process, that are so much more important than the end result. They can learn from uh, things in the end result. They can learn what went well, what they could do better. They can learn their next steps. They learn how to do it and that they have achieved something. That's super important. And music, I'd say, also lends itself well to that. It might, you might be tempted to think that the end result, because it might be a performance, is more important than the actual um, process. But I would argue that that's not true. I want my students to have a passion for music. I want them to feel confident singing in a group. And if they are up for it and they want to, singing solo, I want them to be able to feel confident doing that. I want my students to be able to feel confident playing an instrument. I want them to enjoy it. I don't want them to worry about, am I getting all of this right? Am I getting it perfect? My, I sort of say to the students, I don't expect you to be perfect. I do expect you to try your best. And so as long as they're trying their best, then I'm happy. Leanne says, absolutely, not sure why, but I always found that my computing lessons were more open and less of me talking than perhaps English was. And yeah, certain apps can lend itself well to that. I mean, of course... There's certain things, you know, you, you don't want your students to just watch random YouTube videos if that's completely irrelevant to the lesson. Um, but you, but yeah, there's so, there's so many creative ways of doing computing. Right, 
Uh, anyway, I am going to play the news segment now. Um, so in a, um, I will and um, we'll talk a bit about Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs afterwards and close the show out on that. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The national lorry driver shortage has been widely reported in recent weeks, as have the trading issues which have occurred post-Brexit. Both are reported as putting pressure on businesses such as petrol stations and supermarkets, but now it appears the situation is spreading. ISS, a catering firm supplying food to 450 schools, said disruption to what it can offer schools is likely to last until the new year. In a leaked email obtained by ITV, the company advises head teachers on stocking up and ways to keep feeding children through the winter. The advice includes topping up on long-life milk, dried and tinned foods, so that food will be available in a worst-case scenario. Whilst the company says it remains confident it will be able to keep supplying meals, it suggests schools ensure they are prepared. Children's favourites such as fish fingers, bread, ham and some soft drinks are amongst the products the company is struggling to source. ISS has issued a statement saying its ability to provide schools with nutritious meals has not been impacted and that contingency advice to schools was being issued and that regular contact with schools was being maintained. A Department for Education spokesman said there was no evidence to suggest widespread supply issues. Supply chain issues are reported to be causing disruption to the delivery of CO2 monitors to schools in Wales, according to a report on Wales Online. The clean air technology was promised to schools by the first week in October, but delays may mean that schools do not receive them until after the half-term break. The CO2 monitors are designed to warn when there is not enough clean air in a room. They're seen by many as a key mitigation measure to help reduce the spread of COVID-19 and protect staff and pupils. Head teachers across Wales are reporting that more pupils and staff are absent now than at any other time during the pandemic, and that education is facing worse disruption than in the previous academic year. The Welsh Government has said it's spending £2.5 million on the CO2 monitors, and that this will equate to one monitor for every classroom. Finally, the Guardian is reporting on fresh figures released by the Office for National Statistics which suggest that, in England, the spread of COVID-19 is fast outpacing the vaccination programme for secondary age pupils. The ONS now says that last week 1 in 14 secondary pupils had COVID. This is an increase from the 1 in 20 of the previous week. According to data released by the UK Health Security Agency, fewer than 1 in 10 of the age groups eligible for the vaccine have received it although more than a third of those vaccinated were in the vulnerable group. The vaccination programme is seen to be key in keeping schools open and limiting infections. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. 
Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. And we're back. Okay, then. So, um, what? Whoops, I just muted myself by accident there. Um, what I wanted to finish off today's show with was a little bit about tabletop RPGs or role playing games, because I actually, um, it's funny, I actually taught some of my colleagues um, a little bit about how they can include things like um, uh, tabletop role play or, or just role playing games in general in their teaching and the kind of skills that that involves. And so I took them through this, um, this process called Story Guider. And it's something that I found recently because I've been getting back into Dungeons and Dragons as a player. And I've also been running my own games for the first time um, recently as well, which, and I've been really getting into it. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to, so I wanted to look up because I love bringing my hobbies. Um, I don't know if you could tell, but I love bringing my hobbies into um, into my schools uh, and, and my job. Some people like to keep their hobbies and their work separate, but me personally, I love bringing my own hobbies into schools. Um, and so my first instinct is, okay, I'm really into Dungeons and Dragons at the moment. Um, how can I bring this into into school in an effective way? What potential does this have? And I found a few things. Um, I haven't been able to implement all of them yet, but I would love to in the future. And I know people that have implemented that. Uh, I know of people that have implemented them successfully. Um, and the first one, um, which I'm going to link in the chat now, is... Um, called story guider and it's sort of the simplest form of a of a tabletop role-playing game you describe it as essentially a yeah i'm going to tell <coughs> so it they advertise that 
it can work with kids as young as two. So if you can, if you can get your two-year-old on board, then you know that's <laughs> that's kind of amazing. But yeah, three three to five-year-olds, it would it would definitely it it definitely works for. Um, and you can make it a bit more complex for kids that are older as well. But it's sort of an art role-playing game in its simplest form. Does it work on Chromebooks? Um, Leanne, yes. The link I put in there, so um, for those that are not listening live, that is uh, ttrpgkids.itch.io forward slash story guider. Um, if that is actually just a PDF, so it will easily be compatible with Chromebooks. I mean, I've never actually used a Chromebook before. Yeah, um, idea for reception class. Yes, Leanne, it is really good for reception class. In fact, I actually tried it with some reception children recently and it went very well. Um, so yeah, so what Story Guider is, is um, you, you, from that link, you get a PDF and you can write your own there's also an example one there. And the idea is you as the storyteller in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, you would that would be the dungeon master. But in this case, this is a non-violent um, introduction to this kind of setting. So you have the basic story and then you have a, up to five things that your students have to have to either make a decision or an obstacle that they have to overcome somehow and the way you would uh, way i would introduce it is okay i'm going to tell you a story now and you are going to be the main character in that story um now you will have decisions to make you will have obstacles to overcome um, and then you can talk them through it. So the example that they give in that link, for example, that I that I just posted is um, called The Magician's Big Performance. And it's about a wizard who's invited to perform uh, for the king's birthday. And the obstacles that you're presented with are you know, what does he pack, or what does he or she pack in their bag? What do, uh, how do they get to the castle? Um, how do they get over stage fright? And what tricks do they perform? And so as you're telling the story, you then, and you then present them with these choices. And if you've got, if you're just doing it in a small group, um, or one-to-one, then obviously you just ask each individual. If you're doing it in a class of 30, or in my case, a class of 15, um, then you can, not everyone's going to want to share. That's okay. So I, I said in my session when I did this, okay, who would like to share what else they pack in their bags? And we had some, you know, we had some, simple ideas like you know a torch in case it gets dark or you know my favorite teddy bear we also had some really creative ideas like one child said i 
I use my magic wand to shrink my house down and fit it into my bag. And I just thought, yeah, that was brilliant. Um, so I, I, I loved that. So that, um, so we went with that. And then, um, yeah, as, as the story progresses, those that want to share, they can share what they do and sort of they imagine, they get to use their imagination, they get to become the main character. And if you want to take it further, then you can do things like you can, um, you can introduce a live action element. So among nerd culture, we call it LARPing or live action role playing. Um, it doesn't have to be super nerdy, um, as hopefully I've just proven, um, because in this system, there is there aren't any dice rolls. It's just a story where your child or the person you're telling the story to is the main character. So they have a say in what happens, part of a say in what happens. Um, and then <clears throat> as they get older and they might show more interest, then you can start in primary level, you can start introducing more complex rules like dice rolls and uh, statistics. So, you know, one of your children might have a special skill in building where, you know, they're very good at building bridges. So if you have a ravine to cross and you've got a broken bridge, they can, instead of most characters might roll a dice once to see if it's successful. And if they get a four, five or six, it's a success. And they get a, if they get a three, two, one, it's a fail. Then you can... Um, then, then one character might have a special building skill, in which case you can say to them that, oh, you, it, it can be a success if you get a three or a two as well. The only time it will fail is if you get a one, or you can say you can roll two dice and the highest and um, will take the highest number. So you can start introducing things like that um into your more complex uh complex games um and you can take it further as i said by doing it live action as well so find an area of the school where you can all collectively use your imagination to or, or you know bring out loose parts if you have them um if you're doing a forest school setting for example and you know work together to build a bridge to get over this ravine to the castle um, or, or whatever it is, whatever your setting is. And you can incorporate these kinds of stories into whatever it is you're doing. So in this, in this case, for example, you could, it could be a way of hotspotting because October in the UK is Black History Month. So you can, um, so you can incorporate that into sort of perhaps the story of Rosa Parks, where you get your students to actively be Rosa Parks. Um, obviously, depending on how sensitive your children are, you can you can vary it. So that's where sort of the biggest biggest thing that people might fear about doing something like when I mentioned Dungeons and Dragons, probably the first thing people think of is it's about fighting monsters and violence. And yes, it can be, but it isn't always, and it doesn't have to be. You can tone it down or up as much as you like. Um, so 
Um, but it's also especially important, I guess, if you're exploring a sensitive issue, like, um, like for example, the you know Black History Month. Well, if you're talking about uh, things like slavery, if you're talking about racism, those are obviously can be very sensitive issues. So you know, if you're going to role play that, you obviously have to do it in a very sensitive way. Um, however it could also be a very powerful and valuable tool in getting your students to experience perhaps what that might have been like for that person and that might help in their creative writing it might help for them to empathize with the past and even the problems that we currently have to deal with because although things are much better for marginalized groups than they were in the past we still have an extremely long way to go before um before we have before we have a fair and just world for all groups that are perhaps marginalized so but anyway um so that's the most basic example um, and I'm going to post one more link to a game that perhaps I would think is my favorite. I haven't had a chance to actually try this, this out yet. Uh, I have tried out basic dice rolls and stats. I haven't had a chance to try out the full system, but I'm hoping I can sometime. A game called No Thank You Evil. And the reason why I like it is because it's it's not sometimes these games can be sometimes if you especially if there's fighting involved it can be quite dark and scary but no thank you evil um has this system where any of your players can um i've just put a link in the um thing by the way um, for those that are not listening live, it's www.nothankyouevil.com, um, or one word. Um, it has a system where one of your players can say to the game master, no thank you, evil. And if they do that, that is sort of a genuine rule of the game. Then the game master has to take the story in a different direction. And a player can only use that or will should only use that if they're feeling a bit overwhelmed or a bit afraid of where the story's going um and it can be quite surprising sometimes because you know that you can get some kids who and i'm <clears throat> i'm sure lots of people have experienced this you can get some kids who are quite loud on the playground and can be quite boisterous and can often be leaders. But then if they're put on the spot, then that can sort of cause them a lot of anxiety. So it's about creating a situation where they are comfortable playing with, uh, playing that game or, or doing those things. Um, so that, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I like No Thank You Evil, um, because it has a genuine system where a player can say, I'm scared or I don't like this. A younger player can say, I'm scared, I don't like this, without 
sort of ruining the fun for the other players or or feel or or they don't say it because they feel like they can't because they're worried about what other people will think it gives them the confidence to do that um and the other reason why i like it is because if you take a setting like dungeons and dragons it's fantasy it's um it's mo- it's monsters it's magic it's uh, it's high fantasy whereas a game like no thank you evil has a huge variety of different settings like it's set in a land called storia and um the different worlds that you have in storia include behind the bookshelf under the bed out the window in, into into the wardrobe etc so it's like a big imagination um big very creative imaginative setting um which is why i really like it um so i i really hope that i have a way of trying it out with my own students or in some way in the future i would love to be able to run it for 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 kids um you know i've run i've run a game of dungeons and dragons with my friends now and you know that's gone that's gone all right i think i mean they seem to be enjoying it and uh engaging with it which is good um but yeah it i want i always i always want to because as i said earlier in the show i'm so much better at teaching things that i am passionate about than i am at teaching things that perhaps i don't feel as confident with or comfortable with or things that i'm not passionate about and that's why i love bringing my hobbies into my teaching okay um i am actually going to finish the show there to give the um next show host a chance to log in and get set up i'm just going to uh load the twitter um and just check who it is um and yeah but while i do that thank you to everybody who listened live it was excellent to have you in um and if you are if you have downloaded the episode after it's been recorded and gone live then thank you very much for downloading all your support and listening all your support is much appreciated hopefully i wasn't too rambly this this has been my first yeah it's been my first ever radio show that i've ever done so yeah thank you catherine that means a lot um so yeah um so next up at um three o'clock um in about an uh in about half an hour or so we have um jane manzone um or miss smith uh at hey miss smith on twitter um and she is uh, she's got a guest uh zoe paramore and uh she's going to uh, be joined by a couple of guests. I, I completely messed up this. I, I'm so sorry, Jane. Um, Jane Banzone is next at three o'clock for the Saturday afternoon show. So if you like, then stick around for her. I've been Joe Hammond. Thank you very much for listening. And I will see you next time.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.